Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of, and I'm here with Danielle. Danielle, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, So can you tell me um, what was happening in your life when you decided to seek psychotherapy? Yes. So this is essentially a 10-year story. Uh, When I first started, uh, when I first sought therapy was 10 years ago, almost exactly. And um, Huddle.Care is kind of my seventh um, psychotherapy uh, attempt. So when I first realized that I had an anxiety disorder, it was when I had moved in with my boyfriend, now, now my husband, and I finally saw myself through somebody else's eyes um, in, a, in just a way that I never had before. And I finally realized that all of the things that I thought were my quirks were, um, not, were not the way that I had to be living. That I was like, oh, it's possible for people to think a different way than, than how I'm thinking and to suffer less. Uh, so I realized that and I started my journey which unfortunately has been a really long one because I only feel like in the last 12 months, I've realized that I have OCD and not just generalized anxiety disorder. So Um, before we go on, can you say more about like you realize that other people think differently than you do and suffer less? Can you be more specific about that? Yeah. So for example, I would be worrying um, about full mouth x-rays that I had to get at the dentist every three years, I'd be worried about that three-year mark in the future. Um, And I kind of thought that that was normal because I had been such an anxious person all my life, kind of, Um, especially, you know, like when I was started coming of age and um, and I I had kind of a comp, I have complex PTSD, which I didn't have any idea of at the time. Um, but now looking back, I can see that all these things were not just normal quirks, but were definitely a, a disordered way of thinking for sure. So that was, that's one example Or I would just get just extreme anxiety about flying. Um, yeah, the, the dentist one was a real big deal. And then I would just also just cry like all the time. And my husband, my then fiance or whatever would ask, uh, why I was crying and I literally couldn't tell him. I just felt, you know, this horrible sense of dread. And at the time I really did think it was generalized. Now looking back, I know it's specific and I can see the the stickiness and the, the, the content I can, now I'm looking, looking back, I can see that at the, at the time it was, yeah. 
felt like worry. Yeah. So can you talk more about what that um, process was like over the years since it has been a long journey? Yeah. So I, um, I basically, I've seen, so the first therapist that I saw, she kind of recognized, I don't, that was 10 years ago. So I don't really remember that well, but she was the first person to mention the word trauma. She said, you kind of remind me of, of my trauma patients. And that was the first time I was kind of blown away. I ha- I kind of bought into it. I kept it in the back of my mind for future. Um, but I just kind of saw her as general talk therapy, just like, I'm anxious. How do I deal with this? And then um, after a few months, it wasn't getting better. So my doctor put me on an SSRI. And at the time, I thought that like that was the solution and I didn't really need to continue with talk therapy and then I moved can to, I, it. to can I slow you down what yeah. did you what did you think in terms of like the mechanism of action going from anxiety is something that I need to talk through with somebody that understands anxiety to I can just take a pill about that what, mm. what was the difference in you thinking about what was creating your anxiety um I think real talking and again I don't remember the specifics and I've tried to recreate it since, but talking through my childhood and maybe the kind of some of the sources of my anxiety or trauma um, didn't help at all. And so I, and I was seeing just a general physician and she just kind of said, you know, I, I think talk therapy can help some people, but I really think you need a drug. And I just kind of believed that. Um, and I think I was just in such a, like a, deep, dark hole that, that I was, you know, my anxiety had gone untreated for so long and unrecognized. So I was at that point pretty depressed. And so I was kind of desperate and I trusted the doctor and I chose the drug. And then I, I think I remember reading somewhere that, that just in like a general psychology book or something that the best outcomes come from both medicine and therapy. It didn't specify you know, what kind of therapy or anything like that. So I had it in my mind that I wanted to continue in general going to a counselor in some capacity and be on a drug. It's just that when I moved and switched jobs or, you know, moved to a different state, didn't have that same therapist and just kind of the 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 effort that it takes to go find somebody who's taking new patients, who's in your area, your new your new hometown. Um and that takes your insurance is, you know, pretty daunting. So, so there was a time where I just, just took the drug and just kind of tried to skate by. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about the process from there. Um, So it didn't really work. Let's see what, I think I just, I don't remember, some things must've triggered me and I found another therapist who took my insurance and that next one focused I didn't realize at first, but she focused on parts work. Um, so I guess I must have, you know, told her the trauma stuff and the complex PTSD. So she tried to do internal family systems with me, but I, I didn't really understand what it was. And I stuck with her because she was really compassionate and I saw her for a long time. And she just kind of generally helped me feel a little bit better about life for a couple of years. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I stuck with her for a bit and the parts work just didn't help at all. So eventually I just stopped seeing her. 
Um, for other people that haven't, that don't know what you're talking about in terms of internal family systems, can you say a little bit about what you mean by parts work? Yeah, so it's this idea, and I'm definitely not that well-versed in it, but it's the idea that you have a true self, but then you have other parts um, that kind of take over, that you maybe let take over in certain circumstances where, you know, it's just too scary or too sad or too dangerous for for you to handle it. And so the idea is that um, a manager will come out and try to, try to, you know, hide your true self or... You know, I think one example was you're, you have a creative part of you and that free-spirited creative part maybe took too many tequila shots and um, did something crazy that one time. So that was a part of you that was trying to, you know, put yourself away so that you wouldn't get hurt um, and come out and just kind of be the life of the party or something like that. Um, but the idea was that, like, you have a child that is... So a part of you that is still, you know, eight years old or whatever, when something bad happened and that you've developed over the years, like certain ways of dealing with that, that aren't, that aren't your wisest mind, your truest self or something. So I appreciate what you're saying that your therapist was really compassionate and it kind of generally helped you feel better. Now, when you, based on what you know about OCD, do you have a sense of why that parts work might not have been effective for you at that time? Well, it had nothing to do about my behavior. And I was not aware at all about how, about anything that I was doing to increase my anxiety. I was under the impression that if I figured out my past, that I would be healed. Um, That all I had to do was have compassion for my young self, uh, whose mom was sick, and then you know, acknowledge and and remember maybe and not blame myself for anything that happened. And then I would, and then whatever anxiety I was having in in the moment or my day-to-day life in the present would kind of dissipate. I think I thought that was true. And um, I didn't, you know, I didn't, wasn't in touch with what was really bothering me, my specific content triggers. I, I didn't, I didn't know about OCD. I just thought that it was a you know thing where people turn the doorknob a certain number of times and check the stove. Um, so I wasn't changing my behavior in any sense. I was just talking about my past mostly. Um, thanks for describing that. Can you say more about what the journey was from there? Yeah. So from there, I uh, basically. I'm skipping over some some stuff, but I basically had a a baby, and everything got really obvious um, as to as to what exactly my my worries were, um, and and it became very specific. I was very worried that he would get sick. In fact, I mean, I was I was so worried in general. Yeah, I remember coming from home from the hospital and. And just wanting to drop him off at daycare the next day, like at two days old, just because I felt, you know, so extremely unprepared and scared of just anything that could happen to this human life. Um, And and it was very probably hormonal as well. Um, But the worry, the worry was pretty extreme. And then my kid got his first stomach bug at like nine months old. And I just... I just had like a breakdown. I absolutely lost it. I just, I just, 
thought that I thought it, it was in a way it was the end of the end of the world. <laughs> I just I realized that he is capable of being sick and it could happen again at any time and I can't I can't prevent it or maybe I can and I should really think about ways to prevent it. <laughs> Maybe I have like a lot of work to do and I should pull him out of daycare and quit my job and protect him from ever getting sick. And, or if I don't, then all I have, all I have to look forward to is, is uncertainty and sickness happening in life as a course, as a matter of course. Uh, so I realized that, that something was wrong. So I thought a help with a postpartum kind of specializer counselor so she was my next next and and what about the possibility of him being sick and you being unable to protect him what about that made your world come crashing down I mean I don't know I think that's the OCD and the trauma right it just that's just how it felt and um my husband was pretty I mean, he had, by, by then he had known me and I, I'd had similar reactions to him over the years at certain points if he got sick, where my worry just far exceeded the, the you know, 24 hours that my husband was ill. Um, my worry would go on for months and, and months or a year later, I would remember, oh, it's been a year. Remember when you got food poisoning or whatever? Um, just almost like I was having more traumas, um, re, you know, re re-traumatizing myself or something so he he knew that, that that was my tendency but this time was so so much different because we had a child and everything was more extreme and um yeah and when you're saying got sick that's kind of a euphemism for a number of different things mm-hmm. um so do you um is the word of, that's typically used when referring to getting sick, is that a trigger for you? Is it difficult to say those those words? It it has been. It's gotten less difficult um, over the past couple of years. And are you willing to let me use those words right now? Yeah. So you're talking about your son vomiting, specifically yeah. vomiting. And yeah. can you say my, my son might vomit? Yeah. Are you willing to say that now? Yeah. But my son vomited. So, and your fear is that your son might vomit? Yeah. Or I'm, I'm afraid that I might throw up or my husband might throw up or my son might throw up and or like- really anybody that I care about or that's in close proximity to me. If, if, yeah, if I care about them and it's, it's not the vomit itself that it gets me like this. I mean, it, it probably used to be but I've had incidental exposure over the years like I I got a small dog a few years ago and um she is a puker she's just very pukely and I didn't used to be able to even say the word puke so she's done a lot for me in terms of exposure she threw up in the middle of the night last night on our bed and we just went back to sleep she's done a lot for me so I know I know like that's like a little microcosm of like you know it gives me hope right good yeah really good perspective on that rather than um that type of exposure 
and any reactions that you have to it, meaning that you're going to suffer forever. If it switches over to, this is an example, this is an exposure, and it gives me hope that I can respond effectively, like responding effectively to it gives me hope. Um, that's a really great shift in attitude. Yeah, it's it's definitely a metaphor that helps when I remember it, when I remember to think about it, um, because it's hard not to, to be hopeless. And then, you know, if I if I do think about that, I think, oh, I am capable of, you know, shifting the way I think towards this. When I first got her, um, and she was like my first baby, and I, I felt all this, all this, all the similar feelings that I felt when I had my real my human baby, <laughs> um, of responsibility and worry and decision making, and like, you know, how much vomiting is too much, and you know, at what point do I make the decision to go to the bed in the middle of the night or go back to sleep? Is somebody going to die? Um, is, is my little tiny dog who relies on me to, to keep her safe? Is she going to die? What Am I going to make the right decision? Um, so that that journey was similar to the one that I started when I had my, my human baby. All of that is really well said. Thank you for describing that. Do you want to go back to like once your human baby was born, um, what happened when you sought out a specialist? Yeah, so she... Um, she again had a lot of compassion um, and a lot of knowledge in terms of like, you know, what women typically deal with after they have a baby and kind of the postpartum OCD, postpartum anxiety. Although she did not speak to me about OCD, I still didn't realize that I had it. Um, and this is getting pretty close to the present, but uh, what she did with me without my knowing was EMDR. And the reason that I didn't know that that's what it was is because she wasn't um, putting her finger in front of my face and having my eyes move, she had like a different just method. She had me holding clickers and I, don't, I didn't know what was, what that that's what she was doing until I talked to her about it afterwards. Um, so EMDR to, I guess, tackle the trauma of my mom being sick when I was younger. Um, and it didn't help at all. I saw her every week for almost a year, I think a year. And just, I, I felt just as desperate and sad and scared as, as I did the day I first saw her. And specifically worried that your son was going to get sick. Yeah. I remember one time in our office saying like her trying to understand exactly what was making me cry in that particular moment. And I, I think what I said was he could be, he could be incubating a stomach flu bug right now as we speak, my husband's at home watching him. I'm here with you in this office and it could be living inside him right now. And it could be, you know, he, tonight he could pop, you know, spike a fever and tomorrow he could be throwing up and the next day we could all be throwing up. And, and I just had so much fear and she, she was surprised by that explanation, but like it didn't really go anywhere. And I think I got to the point at the end of that year where I, I was so desperate, I told her, I think it's a metaphobia and I think I need to go see an exposure therapist. I am so desperate, I'll do anything at this point. I just don't want to feel this particular fear all day, every day. It's ruining my life. And she was about that because she said, I don't feel like you're resourced enough. I mean, at the time I was sleep deprived and that kind of thing. And she said, exposure therapists are pretty are pretty rough and tough and um, not necessarily care about like the trauma that you've had or where you're coming from. It's mostly just start changing your behavior today if you want to get over it. 
and she was a little bit worried about me. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, that's fine. I think this is what I need to do. And what happened from there? Well, I saw the only exposure therapist that I could afford at the time. And it was a disaster. And I don't, I still to this day, don't know whether it was her or me, but she was a, a student and um, it was a really, really bad fit. It, it led me to have like one of my first panic attacks ever. Um, and I, I, at first I was, I thought I was willing, although I didn't know that I was supposed to be willing. I thought I was just kind of do the exposures, you know, watch videos of people throwing up, um, go eat at a restaurant where you feel like you might get food poisoning, that kind of thing. I even went on a roller coaster and I, that was my own idea. I was like trying to be creative. Um, but I didn't really do any, no one, no one really prepared me for what exposure was. I'd never heard the term ERP. I still didn't identify myself as, as an OCD person. Um, and so I really didn't understand that it, you know, the kind of, what did you call it? Willing acceptance that you have to go in with it or anything like that. Um, so I tried some things. I tried to be creative. I tried to, I tried to like kind of cut corners, not cut corners, but jump ahead in the process just to get it over with, you know, um, which is why I went on a roller coaster and I definitely white knuckled that the whole time. And afterwards I did not feel proud of myself at all. Um, and then it got to the point where I, I showed up for a session and she said, okay, I want to, I want you to pretend like you're throwing up into this trash can right in front of me, do it. And for me, I was embarrassed in an acting sort of way. Like that didn't trigger my emetophobia. It triggered my shyness or something. And I really didn't want to do it. And she said, okay, fine, then you're never going to get better. And I just cried and cried until the hour was over. And then I went home and I never saw her again. <laughs> That's a really sad story. <laughs> yeah. And I know that it's like, I'm sure she could have, you know, probably treated me with a little bit of the compassion that I had found in my last two therapists. But also part of it was surely me. I know that I was, you know, not under not understanding the maybe not willing enough and maybe a little stubborn. Well, it also sounds like you didn't have um, appropriate psychoeducation about what was happening. So even now you understand that you were white knuckling and that you didn't have, you weren't have, well, first off, it sounds from what the work that we'll do and talk about here, um, it sounds like you in you weren't targeting the right fear right um that you didn't actually suffer from emetophobia so from the beginning that's what made the the exposure challenging um but the next thing is you then weren't educated around what it means to do exposure and then from there it was seen as like if you weren't willing to do exposure then you were just being resistant rather than um understanding that you that might not have been the appropriate exposure for you yeah yeah, I could have um I could have really used some some education for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's kind of crazy that we're all just kind of, you know, floundering about <laughs> until we find the right, you know, education or knowledge or somebody to guide us. Um so for me, that came after after that sad experience I went and saw a, a just a really really expensive, a very experienced psychologist uh, who 
who also did exposure, but had so much more experience. It was, was literally, you know, the opposite kind of person that I could have found from this exposure therapist who was so young and, and just so focused on just one, one method of, of fixing anxiety. Um, so I went to, to this other person and she, you know, had all this background and she, and she just, like I said, nuance and, um, and she again tried EMDR with me and she, you know, she was willing to do exposure as well. Um, but she wanted to kind of get there in a more natural way and get me ready for it. Um, so she was, she was really great. And, and at that time I finally read brain lock, um, the book by, I forget who, (laughs) uh, Jeffrey Schwartz, I think. And it, was I mean, it describes so many different people with OCD, and not, none of those things I have. But the way that each person, each case that he talked about, the way that those people, in you know, interacted with the world and themselves and their thoughts, just resonated so much with me. Like it just made so much sense. The idea of a sticky mind. Um, that I, I finally, finally identified as, as having OCD. And so from there, I think that's, I think that's the book where, where his motto is, he tells his clients, like his patients um, to say, it's not me, it's my OCD, to recognize that you're having this thought or this fear, this worry that just, just will not go out of your head. And to say, that's not me, that's OCD. Like that's not what everybody thinks. And that's not what I have to think. For the rest of my life, that's OCD, and that was so such a revelation when I read that book. It was it just felt really good. I think I was just like you know listening to it in my car on my commute and just crying like every day. Just felt like it really spoke to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happened from there? Um. So from there, I finally realized I, I OCD. I went to a um. I think I read a couple more books. Um, I finally realized that it, that there are certain behaviors that you do that make it worse. I was reassurance seeking for all my life. I've been reassurance seeking. I had no idea that that is a no, no. I had no, and now I can absolutely see how it, it never helped me. It always made me feel worse. I could never get enough reassurance, whether it was from, you know, checking temperatures or just asking my, my mom or, or my, loved ones, my husband, is everything going to be okay? Like none of, none of them could give me an answer or if they did, I knew they were lying. Um, so that's just one example, but yeah, that's what your OCD told you. <laughs> what? Or that they're lying? What, yeah. Um, well, I could tell, like I could tell that my husband was just trying to make me stop crying. And so he'd say, yeah, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> And then I realized because I know he's not a psychic that he can't predict the future and he doesn't know that everything's going to be okay. And that's, that's the whole point. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah. What was I going to say? From there, I went to the OCD conference um, where I heard about you and then COVID happened. So I wasn't able to continue EMDR. Um, because the, while a lot of therapists went to online work, um, that just wasn't, that particular therapy wasn't doable. 
um, over the over the phone. I mean, over the computer. And um, but it was kind of a relief because that was a lot of money. And I thought this might not be the the most urgent thing that I need to do. I think the most urgent thing I need to do is to you know dig down deep into this you know I guess cognitive behavior or whatever it is and my my behaviors I you know I yeah, need to and, stop checking. And the beliefs that maintain them. So it's about your behavior, but it's also about the beliefs that maintain that behavior. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing that story. Do you want to say a little bit more about where you're at right now? Um, right now, uh, so I just found Huddle. I mean, I just finally signed up for Huddle. Um, and I I know that, I think one of the good things about it is that it will it will keep me accountable. Um, I feel somewhat bad about myself because I know that I'm not doing the best I can. I'm not doing I'm not doing my exposures, um, but I think I will be ready too soon. <laughs> I have to fight um, against these days, an extreme urge to just kind of sleep the day away. I mean, I don't have any time for that, but if I had, I, if I did have the time, it's all I would do. Um, and I really, really want to avoid, um, just this year, maybe part of next year. (laughs) I just want to kind of not have to do a bunch of exposures. I want to skip ahead to being normal. (laughs) Um, but I'm going to not do that. And show up for group sessions and eventually do my exposures and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Thank you so much for describing it like that, because I think that captures the experience of a lot of people that once they get educated, they kind of know what the path will probably be like, and they just want to skip ahead. Um, And the urge to avoid in a number of different ways, including through sleeping um, is just really human. Yeah. Um, so thank you for describing that. Yeah, I, I, my, I was talking to a friend about it, and she um, also has some. I think she she deals with some social anxiety that she doesn't she doesn't deal with it actually. Um, and she was very really curious about what I've been doing and what I've been learning, and I kind of explained it in the best way I could. And then she said that sounds horrible, and I said, yeah, it's a little bit like finding out you have cancer. So that's the bad news, right? Like you have OCD, it's about news. The good news is there's a treatment. Like your cancer is totally treatable. We can absolutely do it. The bad news is it's really going to (laughs) suck. You know, you're going to have to go through chemo and radiation. We might have to do all, you know, take this part of your body off, um, but then you'll be healed. (laughs) So it's kind of good news, bad news, good news. And how do you maintain hope as you start that process? I don't know so much about how to maintain hope as as much as how to be so desperate for things to be different. That that's almost a hope in itself. Like um, you know, a lot of I don't know what is hope. It's something that keeps you going, or it's like a reason to yeah, reason to keep going. I think another reason to keep going is is the absolute necessity of it. You know, I I don't want to feel like this forever, and I want to be a good mom, and I want to be adventurous and I don't want to sleep all my life away. Um, and so I have, I have to believe that, that there's a way out. Yeah. I believe that for you too. Thank (laughs) you so much for everything you shared. I look forward to our next session.
Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.